Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 31, which begins with Goose carrying the girl to the Interceptor, and it ends with Bubba Zanetti informing Toe Cutter of Johnny's apprehension. Good Monday morning, Julia. Oh, yay. Happy Monday. (laughs) So... Last Friday, when we were talking about the end of Minute 30, we made allusions to the beginning of this minute. The idea that Max is treating Johnny with a level of roughness, whereas Goose is treating the young woman from the Chevy with a modicum of care. And we get to see that first thing this minute, as he's not only carrying her to the car, but he's also given her his jacket to cover up with, which is going to be a whole lot more than just a tattered piece of upholstery. Yeah, exactly. It did occur to me that, did we decide that Goose was the only one that had proper leather? Right. That so, is the one. So that... the jacket that he put around her is an actual leather jacket. Yeah. Okay. Actual leather jackets aren't that comfortable. Well, I mean, they are once you like super duper break them in, Yeah. but then they're molded to your body. So I don't know. I mean, yay that she's covered with something that's not a piece of upholstery. But, you know, it's not comfortable. But it's definitely going to offer way more protection and, you know, a bit more security. Yes. (laughs) Than just tatters. Yes. Although I imagine the gesture offered her more security than the actual jacket. Yeah. And did, uh... You noticed it. I don't know if I saw it right, but you you said, oh, what is that hanging from his belt? It looks like he took his bracers off of the jacket and like hung them on his belt. Yes. Once you pointed those out, I was like, oh, duh. Of course that's what they are. Like I couldn't notice if they were actually hanging from his belt based on like what I saw later in the minute or if they were still attached to the coat. But I don't know. I guess it wouldn't matter either way, but it is something on his person that kind of stood out because they, they do have like those tinges of yellow. Mm-hmm. They're like high visibility type of st- type of things. Yeah, but yeah, they looked kind of weird, but we were able to point out pretty quick what they were. Yep. So Johnny, who's been dumped on the side of the by the side of the interceptor, is still like just talking. Yeah, and like still whacked he's, out. Yes, he is trying to say the night rider like thing the look at the think of the night rider when you look at the night sky a little chant or yeah whatever they have yeah and he can't like you can see he's frustrated he can't remember it yeah and it's really interesting if you look at like the expression on his face it's like it, it almost he's like trying, hurts yeah, to remember. Like he's working so hard to remember the saying but he just can't like the way he moves his hands and the way he moves his head I mean, he gets out one really good Knight Rider to begin. Yes. And then he tries to just go into the rest of it. Right. It's it's like the words just aren't there. And yeah. he's very frustrated by it. So what he ends up saying is just Knight Rider. Yeah. And I believe that this is the first time that he has said Knight Rider where Max or Goose could hear him. Yeah, because Max is just standing over him while Goose is putting the young woman in the back of the car. And he's kind of just standing there just- listening. Yeah. To, like, for the first time at what he's actually saying. Yeah. And uh, he, as soon as he hears the name Knight Rider, he knows exactly what's, like, he's immediately clued in. 
Yeah, Max has an amazing poker face. He does. He never gives anything away. But you can definitely tell that he's starting to put things together and so... Yes, and the way he says, Hey, Goose, you remember that Code 3 from the other day? He is, you can hear it in his voice, he's trying to remain calm. Mm-hmm. And maybe trying to not tip off Johnny that he had that Max has made the connection yeah. on who he is and who he's associated with. Um, it was very restrained. Yeah, absolutely. And then you actually pointed out that I didn't notice when Goose replies to him, his his head is still in the car. And he kind of chuckles. Yeah, and he says, "Yeah." He kind of. Ch- <laughs> so at that moment. He's still, he's taking it lightly. Yeah. Like it was a grand old adventure. It makes me wonder, because when we were actually talking about the crash, specifically about Sars and Scuttle and the way they roll over and land in the middle of the road. We don't think they're, one of them is alive. We're pretty, we were pretty certain that Sars died because he wasn't secured or anything like that. Right. And based on like the positioning of the car and whatnot. And the fact that we never see Sars or Scuttle ever again in the movie. Yeah. Like we were, we were certain that the police force had lost a couple of officers in this whole thing. Yeah. But the way that Goose laughs about it, about the whole thing, because I mean... At the end of the day, yeah, he kind of slid on his side. He went into the pickup truck. He had his funny little one-liner. Right. Grand and old he time was, for him. Yeah, and he was when he gave his funny little one-liner, he was laughing. Oh, yeah. He, he was so very pleased he wasn't, with himself. You know how some people can be about their motorcycles and the stereotype of how, about how people can be with their motorcycles? Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to mind that his motorcycle was down on the ground. Yeah. Well, it's a work motorcycle. Right. It's not his, <laughs> it's not his own It's not his personal motorcycle. <laughs> That'd be different. But his willingness to think light of it, um, his flippancy with recalling the situation, kind of makes me wonder if they actually did lose Sars in the chase, or if <sighs> Sars was just banged up, you know? Well, based on his chuckle there, I would say they, that Sars probably survived, that all they lost was vehicles and pride, mm-hmm. which Goose seems okay with. Yeah. Um, but then, so this, this interaction moves on where, John, um, uh, Goose pulls his head out of the car, closes the door. Night, uh, sorry. Johnny says Knight Rider's name again. Goose hears it this time. And that noise yeah. happens. That the horrible noise. <laughs> noise from the train platform. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. It's... Yeah. It's so weird. It's, it coincides with Goose figuring, like making that connection that Johnny is connected to Knight Rider. Yeah, because the first time we heard it, the toe cutter saw the coffin and realized that it was Knight Rider. That's the first time we heard the sound. And the second time we hear the sound, Johnny says the name Knight Rider and Goose is the one that recognizes it, it as the person they were chasing the other day. So you think it's a noise connected to the Knight Rider? Yeah. But that even it's that... The only, it's the only common thread. It still doesn't make any sense, but at least it's a common thread. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because we never hear it... During the opening chase, right at all. If it were Knight Rider's noise, yeah, then we should have heard it way back in the beginning when Knight Rider was actually still alive. Yeah, like as some sort of indicator, like Jesse's song. Yeah, so I guess it would be if Max was sitting in the car 
or someone was listening over to the radio and heard the name Knight Rider and then we got some sort of reaction from that person going along with that sound, then there would at least be a throughway more than just two instances so far of hearing that just awful sound. And it, yeah, it's an awful sound. It's like someone took a box of tacks and threw it on a piano. Yeah. And then like had all of that hooked up to a car battery, so it sounded <laughs> weird. You know? It's inexplicable. Yeah. No idea what's going on with it. So once Goose realizes who Johnny is, and we hear the noise, Goose gets angry. And yeah, he, he has this line that I just, every time I hear it, he says, well, well, well. And it makes me laugh because it's just such a stupid line. I love that line, not necessarily in this movie specifically, but when it's used as a pun in the uncharted games now we don't own a playstation 4 we've i've never played the uncharted games but we've watched other people play the uncharted games and they have a running joke where nathan drake and whoever he's with they will come up upon a well and nathan drake will say well 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 because there's a well yeah (laughs) and so i always get i always get a kick out of that and it makes me chuckle a little bit i completely agree with you that goose His expression changes. He kind of zeroes in on Johnny and he realizes who they have. That they have an associate of the Knight Rider. And that this is a bit more of a valuable target than they realized before. I guess that's it. It just, I kind of bumped up against how he he chuckled before when being reminded of the whole Knight Rider situation. And then once he realizes that they have... An associate of Knight Riders in custody, he gets all serious. Mm-hmm. I kind of bumped up against that, but it, yeah, I, I think that's one I gotta let go. Yeah, but and that line is just so dumb. Yeah, it, it, it's it okay. It diminishes his his justified anger. Mm. It's just such a cliche thing. I think I think that's what it is. You know? It's so cliche, and it's hard to call a cliche a cliche when we're talking. 30 years ago. Because oh, at least. Because it's a cliche now, but was it a cliche 30 years ago, or has it become a cliche over the last 30 years? Oh, I think it's closer to like 40. Oh, crap, it it's is. Like, oh, it's my gosh. It's 2017, and this was like... It is 40 years. It was filmed in 1977. Yeah, it was filmed in between 76 and, and 79. Yeah. Was all the pre-production. Released in 79. Yeah. So we get all of the eighties, all of the nineties, all up to two thousand all through the aughts, I guess yeah. they're called. And most and then, of the way through the tens. Yeah. It's been forty years. Pretty much. <laughs> so it's kinda hard to say about cliches and sayings and euphemisms and things because those time matters yeah and all of that stuff yeah and being able to recognize these things as tropes like we're right. in a, we're in a much more connected world now so it's really easy to point out tropes and cliches and things like that because they're in the popular lexicon yes you know, they're written down somewhere for people to reference but <laughs> it's such it's just a dumb line. Yep. And it's the last we see of Max and Goose for a little while because we transition from them putting everybody in the car to the motorcycle gang. You sneeze? No. But before we go back to the motorcycle gang, I just want to say, since they're putting people in cars, that yeah. I, I want to assume that they called up a second interceptor to bring in Johnny. Yes. I don't want to believe that they put no. her and Johnny in the car or no. in the same car. 
And I would actually, it, it seems like they should have called for paramedics to come get her. Yeah. She should be in an ambulance and then another ambulance to go get the guy out in the field. Yeah. And Johnny should be in the in the car. But if there was people on the way, the backseat of the car was a safe, not torn apart, ripped up, torn to shreds place for her to hang out until the ambulance got there. Although yeah. in modern police work, they really shouldn't have moved her. Like You don't know what her injuries are. Mm. You don't know what evidence you might be destroying. Although I don't know how what the policies are between like... Do you, you know, helping someone in a non-life-saving way versus preserving evidence? I don't really know how yeah. those two interact. Um, but I know that when somebody is injured... Moving them is not always the best option. Right. Like, don't move them. You're not a professional. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. There's a lot about, there's a lot about this setting that we don't get a follow-up on. Because the next time we pick up with Goose and Johnny... They're already back at headquarters. The car has been moved. And, like, there's a right. lot that's already it's, happened. Yeah. Like, and days we, have gone by. And we don't see uh, Lair and the girl ever again, do we? Nope. Yeah. So, I mean, this is all... I, a lot of things happen in the background where we don't see them. Yeah. And that's fine. Because in any movie, too much happens in the movie to actually show us all of it. Yeah. it's There's definitely a span of time that happens that we miss out being explicitly told that this much time has passed. Yeah. And that's really obvious in tomorrow's minute. Yes. And, you know, we're, we don't, and we don't need to have our hands held that much. Yeah. You know, we don't need to be told that ambulances and backup arrived on the scene to take care of the medical needs, to go after Lair out in the field to, you know, we don't need to be told these things. This is how society works. These yeah. things we know are going to happen. We saw firsthand. now. And maybe that was the purpose of that scene. Yeah. To show us that, yes, ambulances exist, you know. Tow trucks people, and Yeah. All the appropriate services descend upon a scene just like they do in our society. Yeah. Just like we didn't need to see the second half of the assault on the car and its inhabitants. We didn't need to see the second half. We, you know, we were shown the aftermath and that was enough to tell us what happened in between. Yeah, we we were able to pick up on what George Miller was trying to say. Yes. And it's interesting. It's, it's like two different methods uh, with Toe Cutter's gang, what they did to the Chevy and Lair and the woman, they fill in the gaps by showing us the after. Mm -hmm. And based on what we saw in the beginning, we can we can picture what happened in between because they showed us the results. Mm -hmm. In the case of how crime scenes are handled, we know, we can assume that certain things happened because we saw it happen earlier. So two different methods of filling in the gaps. Do you think the MFP have a CSI unit? No. Yeah. That seems like something that like is just extra, you know? Right. Like they're probably not a big enough force and they probably don't have the necessarily and they probably don't have the necessary equipment or supplies to have an effective crime scene investigation unit. Yeah. But even if they did, after seeing this scene, that's that's enough to make right. a crime scene investigator throw up their hands and be like, eh, I'm going home. Right. And I think we get a clue to that in a few minutes um, when 
Johnny is let go. Yeah. Because nobody showed up. Well, okay. In a modern day assault charges case, the victim does not necessarily have to stand up and ID their attacker. Yeah. Because there will be other evidence. There will be DNA evidence and, you know, other things that would be discovered by a crime scene investigator. And sure, it's, you know, best case scenario, the victim would stand up and say, this is the person who did this to me. But they're not required to. And not doing so doesn't guarantee that the perpetrator is going to walk away. It seems like that's what happened here. Yeah. Nobody stood up and said, this was my attacker. And so he walked away. We'll get to talk lots more about that in a minute, though. Yeah, we're going to get to it, I want to say, on like... Thursday? I'm looking at my notes here and I think, uh, yeah, we're going to hear about it first on Thursday and then get into it a little bit more on Friday. Okay. So that'll, that'll be very interesting. Yeah. The end of this week and the beginning of next week. We'll want to refer back to the scene where they were actually at the crime scene and kind of what happened there. But before we get into any of that, like I said before, before we doubled back, We're going forward again. Two steps forward, one step back. I don't know. So we go from Goose and Max over to the Acolytes on the highway. Back to the gang. And they are riding in single file. And it felt to me kind of like a funeral possession. Yes. Instead of them riding clumped up in a big group, they are stretched out as if you were bringing someone to a cemetery. And as they all pass, we eventually see that there's like a yellow pickup. Mm Mm-hmm. And the yellow pickup is what's holding the coffin. Yes. And it's not just the coffin. There's also, you know, toe cutters in the bed of that truck with his motorcycle and the coffin. And as the the truck drives by, we get a shot behind toe cutter. And it's, he's like, I think he's holding a key. Yes. We both saw the key. And he's like waving it at people as they ride around the truck. Which... The first time I saw that, it felt kind of ceremonial to me. Yeah. But then on another viewing, I kind of felt less like he was less like they were one by one paying respects as they were passing and more like he was just holding up the key. Because it was shiny. Because it was shiny. Because he was entertaining himself. Yeah. Because he was looking at it. Yeah. He's riding backwards in a truck. Right. There's not that in, in the middle of wasteland Australia. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to look at. There's nothing to entertain yourself. Except you got a shiny key in your hand. Mm -hmm. So, and a coffin in the other arm. Yeah. So So my theory is that my hypothesis, I should say, is that the key is to the coffin. Mm -hmm. Keys have coffins or coffins have keys. I didn't really think so, but that was my only, I mean, it's not the key to his bike. No, that does, it doesn't look like. I mean, they have, they have keys to the bikes. We, I mean, it's not really, you know, part of their props, but you know. Yeah. It's too shiny. There are keys to, be... to motorcycles, so they have to have like a set of keys. Yeah. But that's not Yeah. I think it's the the key to the coffin. Yeah. It looks, get... it looks like the kind of thing that would, would have a lock there, but yeah. we actually get a better angle on the coffin after yeah, let's Bubba talk about rides the coffin. up. Bubba rides up behind the truck, motions for them to pull over, and it's after they pull over that we can really see it splayed out. Yes. And in um toe cutter is like Holding it in his arm? Yeah, it's like propped up against him. Yes. And okay, so in the back of this truck, there's a motorcycle. Yep. There is a chair. Yep. That looks like a small scale, like easy chair. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> I mean, it, it's no like folding metal chair. It's kind of a chair. All right. And this large man 
and a coffin. Like, that's a lot to fit into the back of the truck. But there did look like there was a little bit of space to spare. Like, I don't think he necessarily had to be holding the coffin. I think there was other space that the coffin could be besides, like, in his lap. It definitely seemed like he was almost cradling it. Yes. Cradling was the word I was thinking about. Holding his dear departed associate. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. You know? (laughs) I guess so. Okay, so now that we get a good look at the coffin with a sense of scale, I will now admit that it's a tiny coffin. Yeah. With it sitting on the cart in the scene on the train platform. Yes, I had perspective issues. Yeah. We didn't know how big the cart was. Right. And the cart was the only thing and that it And it looked was like there were some funky angles going on. Uh, but no more. It is a tiny coffin. It is obviously a child-sized coffin. So I think they just picked up what bits and pieces that they thought might be Knight Rider and put them in the box. Perhaps they cut his heart out. Perhaps they cut his heart <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Bubba. Uh, Bubba's, Bubba's great in a horrible way. Speaking of Bubba, this... This scene between him and the toe cutter is significant because even though it's split up over two minutes for us, it is the longest single shot that we've had so far in this entire movie, clocking in at about 57 seconds. What I've found is that a lot of the cuts in this movie average about like two to five seconds. That's because you're quick. cutting between different perspectives and whatnot, trying to keep things moving. Yes. Um, this shot begins with Bubba on the road. He pulls over. The camera swings around him. The pickup truck pulls up. And then they ha- he has his dialogue with Toe Cutter. The minute ends. We pick it up tomorrow where they're going to finish talking. The truck is going to drive away. And then Bubba's going to drive away. And that's all one continuous shot. They did it all in one take. Nice. As I, it's it's impressive for them because there are so many moving parts. Yes. He's got to stop, turn off his motorcycle so that they don't have that sound issue. The person driving the truck has to pull up and park it just the right way. They need to have all of their lines perfectly. And then they just need to drive away without anything stalling out or, or looking weird. And it's, and it's pretty impressive that they're able to get a good take on that for sure. Yes. And speaking of... The truck and the people driving it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Gum Chewer mm-hmm. is in the front section of that truck. In and the my cab. and my notes said, "Is Gum Chewer driving the pickup?" The answer is no. Because the Gum Chewer <laughs> is not driving the pickup. Because the steering wheel is on the other side of the cab. Yes, she is a passenger in the cab. And I hadn't noticed that until we watched the minute one last time together. And you pointed out to me, her hair is very distinct, so it's her. I had thoughts on the minute where we were in town uh, seeing it was the minute where... uh, Starbuck? It was the minute where... Grinner got the milkshake in the face. Yep. And then also the next minute down. Anyways, we get shots of Gum Chewer and Starbuck or Mudguts. Starbuck was the one that last had his arm around her because we had that little conversation about her being really close to his armpit. Uh, yes. When Mudguts sprayed the milkshake, he was, had he his was arm the one. Gum Chewer then. Okay. She didn't seem to be resisting or unhappy in any way. Yeah. 
I totally got the feel that she was okay with this. And then there was another moment. It was a quick shot where I think it's where they're starting to gather around the the door where Grinner ran in to hide and a crowd starts to form. We actually see Gumchewer and whoever she's with from behind. Not only does he have his arm around her shoulder slash neck, she has his she has her arm around his waist. Okay. Like comfortably. Like the yeah. way you and I would walk. That that denotes consent a lot more than yes. the front view. Yes. If she didn't want to be there, then I don't think she would have had her hand there. Yeah. I think she would have had it either like up on his shoulder, trying to keep control of the situation in some way, or just not on him at all. Yeah. Uh, but it was around his waist. It does kind of make me wonder who is driving the pickup, though, because I counted the motorcycles. And when you count all of the motorcycles in front of the truck and then include the one that passes around the truck and then Bubba coming up behind plus the one in the bed, that's all of the gang members. That's the full 17. Did you count Johnny? Oh, that's right. No, there's 18. There's supposed to be 18. There's supposed to be 18. When they roll into town, there's 18. Okay, so when I counted counted 17. 17, It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. (laughs) You had me really worried there that I miscounted. (laughs) Well, we know it's not a motorcycle rider because there's only one bike in the back of the truck. Yeah. And we see from Toe Cutter's bike being in the back of the truck, Johnny's bike being left behind with Johnny, bikes go with people. Yeah. So they it must are, be... People and bikes are one and the same. So it's either the a voluntary owner of the truck um, or the truck was stolen and it's being driven by somebody non-voluntarily. Um, Although... We're going to see tomorrow that they respond very willingly to Commands. being evo- being involved with this. So it it's probably <laughs> probably a friend of Gumchewer that we're going to see in the background of a later minute when they're all hanging out at the beach. She probably called them up and said, hey, you have a pickup. Come drive me and my friends here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm not I'm not exactly sure who is doing that. Right. But we I... can we can make, you know, a spurt assumptions yeah and whatnot yeah. so bubba rides up and he says johnny the boy has done it again it kind of makes me wonder has johnny been arrested before yeah the word again yes carries know. a lot of meaning yeah now i have a question a slight i was gonna say i have an issue with this scene <laughs> we need to put that on, on a t-shirt on a t-shirt okay my issue with this scene is that wouldn't the group of seven or eight, the group of eight um, that I went after the Chevy? I think it? it's seven. Okay. So wouldn't the group of seven have all left the Chevy and gone back to town together? I think. So, and they would have been there at the same time. So wouldn't everybody else in the group of seven... The other six know that Johnny had taken something and was whacked out of his head and was would and was whacked out of his skull. I think well why is this news to Toe Cutter? We we discussed this I feel like before. I think they did they did top gear rules where Johnny did a little too much and got a little too bogged down and so they just left him behind. Right. Figuring but... he would sober up and follow them. It sounds like Bubba is telling Toe Cutter that Johnny is no longer with the group. 
yeah. that Johnny stayed behind. Mm. Do you think done it again, meaning get arrested? But how does he know he's arrested? He's not there. Yeah. He might he, he might, might be saying Johnny the boy has done it again, meaning that he's gone AWOL. If that's what he means, shouldn't Toecutter already know that? Yeah. I it's I mean, he's able to count. He'd be able to right. realize Especially in his little group of seven. Yeah. Unless Unless he left first. Unless they didn't all leave together. Yeah, I don't think they all left together. That think, would explain, that would solve all of this. I think the idea is they left and then they had an assumption that he would follow. And when he doesn't follow after a set amount of time, that's when Bubba's like, okay, it's been X amount of time has passed and Johnny has not shown up again. He's gone AWOL again. And according to Bubba, it's a scrubber. It's a what? situation that they should just write him off. Okay. Um, you get the sense at the end of this minute and the beginning of next minute that Bubba does not like Johnny. <laughs> nope, not at all. Not at all. Doesn't see his value. Yeah, he has a lot of harsh words for him tomorrow. Yes. Um, but Toecutter does not share that opinion that Johnny is a lost cause. He, he wants to keep him around. But we're going to go into all of that tomorrow mm-hmm. on the next minute. Uh, in the meantime... If you want something to tide you over, you can go to our website, which is madmaxminute.com, or you could follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And uh, if you're in the mood, maybe you give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 31. We will see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men, take me to the end of the dream. Hold on tight, so it sure feels right. Stick to you like a tire on a